We're studying through the book of James, and I, uh, the way that I led my family with kids was I told stories and quizzed them, so basically that's what I'm going to be doing. We're in James, and I've got a few questions, and for those of you that don't know, the most important individual in my family right now is my granddaughter. Is Penny here? Okay, well, you want to see the most important person in the world? She's underneath my, my daughter there. That's my granddaughter, Penny. And the first rule of being grandparents is kids have to have fun. And a few children whispered to me that quizzes aren't fun without candy. So we're going to have quizzes. And then for the child that gets the right answer, I'm going to, you know, I got my gloves on. I'll hand them the candy of their choice. Let me see. I've got my questions up here. city was the conference held in Acts 15 in which portions of the Jewish traditions which the early church decided which portions of Jewish traditions Gentile believers must follow. What city did that conference happen at? Raise your hand if you get it right you get candy. Over here Maxwell family. I'll let the whole family be able to answer this. What city was in Acts 15? I heard Jerusalem. I'm going to give each child a piece of candy. Emily and Ryan, would you like a piece too? I've got plenty. There you go. Everybody get some candy. Oh, be innocent. Oh, I missed you. I'm sorry. Okay, second question. How many tribes did the nation of Israel have? Any kid? What candy? Twelve. Okay, I'm going to do this as a family. Oh my goodness, yeah. Here you go. All right. Who do most scholars think were James' brothers? Any family with kids think they know who James' brothers were? I heard somebody say, I know. Okay, back here. Just as you raise your hand, I'll give you the answer. It's Judas and Jesus. There you go. You're welcome. Jude. Oh. Don't listen to me. My legs ramble. Go by the notes. Get a book. Get a commentary. Which empire did northern 12 tribes of Israel fall to? Assyria. I've already had you. Okay. Which empire, let's see, what empire did the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin fall to? You guys are just interested in the candy, though. That's it. Okay. Well, I'll give the answers to that one. That is Babylon. What three empires followed Benjamin Babylon to create a very scattered and diverse Jewish people? This is Persia, Greece, and Rome. So I'm giving Old Testament history why it makes sense to the Jews. What two language was the Old Testament originally written in? Hebrew and Aramaic. I think I'm going to come back next week and miss, skip the first questions that we got right and just go on these. So just pay attention. If you want candy next week, make sure you know the answers. <laughs> What's the name of the Old Testament that the Jews translated to Greek and dispersion? That's the Septuagint. Okay, here's something. 
I'm going to talk at length next week about this. What is the Greek word that means dispersed? That's if you are reading James as written in Greek, chapter 1, verse 1. Diaspora. You're somebody's kid, so let me give you some candy. Now let me just give a handful to the Wake clan here. Welcome to Provide. All right. Yeah. Okay, I think this is my last question. Thank you for how this apply to us. What's the Norwegian word that's still used in the upper Midwest to express a wide variety of emotions? Donna Hager, I did a little lecture on this. Ofta. Wayne and Audrey, you're probably the wisest people at church, but you were once somebody's little kid. Okay. <laughs> Here you go. Have some candy. All right. All right. Okay. Let me take off my gloves. Put aside the candy. Just talk a little bit. Talking about what life looks like in the world. We're going to talk more about diaspora next week. But one of the things that I was told when I was a young preacher by a wiser older preacher was a guy named Royce Dickinson. Royce told me a phrase that has stuck with me. He said, always describe people the way they describe themselves. And I think that's really good counsel, particularly if sometimes you have something that's a little awkward or maybe a conflict and you're trying to create a label. Use the description that people use for themselves. If you talk to people who immigration is part of their experience, a lot of them prefer the word diaspora instead of being called things like refugees, immigrants, foreigners, or aliens, which might actually be a true description. But if you start to watch how do people describe themselves, people in the last 30 years particularly who have immigrated from one place to another, many of them prefer the term diaspora. Now, it is the 4th of July weekend I'm going to do just a little bit of American history, and I'll quiz the kids on this next week. I'm going to take off the easy questions, and since you know you're getting candy, I'll make some tougher ones next week. We live in a wonderful country, a country that has many godly principles, it has a lot of godly history, but like all nations around the world, we have dark spots in it. And we have to wrestle with this as God's people. How do we honor all that is good, while wrestling with the, the dark portions of our history, and then looking at our children and grandchildren. I'm old enough to look at my grandchildren and say, and I want them to do better. How do we do that? A little bit of American history. Our Constitution had three amendments that came in after the Civil War was over. After we had decided slavery would not be part of our national fabric, one of them was the 14th Amendment, which says, and says these words, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to jurisdiction therein are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor to deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. That's a long way to lay, but it's in our Constitution of the United States. 
There were three amendments after Reconstruction. The 14th one did something that very few countries do in the world. It said if you are born in the United States, no matter who your parents are, no matter what their immigration status, no matter what their economic status, if you are born here, you become an American citizen. That's something unique about the United States. If you were to look around the world at nations that don't have that part of their fabric, and they have received people for some reason outside of their country you've entered in, and citizenship doesn't get given at birth, what you end up happening in nation after nation is you have a permanent class of people that are stateless, that have limited rights, limited economic, limited educational opportunities, and you basically institutionalize a large group of people being second class residents forever. It's a horrible thing to see. We don't do that in the United States. It's one of the things I am thankful about for our country. And next week, I think I'll have a true-false question about that. It will basically be something to effect. If you are born in the United States, are you a citizen, true or false? Yes or no? Our Statue of Liberty says these words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless temples tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's written in our Statue of Liberty. These are American principles that I think God looks at and smiles. I want us to remember these type of things about our country as we're looking at the 4th of July weekend. Remember what is good and godly. And then look at our children and grandchildren and say, how can we help them do better? All right, let me move into the text for today. We're going to be in James chapter 5. You can stand with me. I'm going to read this text. James chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Jael's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Please be seated. And again, this is the second time in my life I am trying to preach with my notes on my mobile phone. I like paper. I'm old. I hope I don't forget something or lose something. But we've seen, read this text. We're working through James. We've only got one sermon left in James. And James is really, really practical. And he's really, really Jewish. And he just finished a section we looked at last week where he was using the you pronoun a lot, and he was talking about you rich people who have been taking advantage of others. His language shifts, and in the text that we read today, there's four different times he will say brothers and sisters in the Christian Standard Bible. Other translations will say brothers and brethren. But he shifts from you people 
to family-like language. And in this section here, we basically have four instructions. And I'm going to label each one of these. He says, because we're family, then you do this. And, you know, in my family, the kids have been with me for a week. Some of them are going to be coming and going. We're probably going to have about a month of my kids with me. And there are moments when we say, well, the question will come up, even when they're in their 20s, why that? And this first answer is, well, because we're family. That's what life is like in family. It's what life is like in church. It's We started in communion talking about this. We're family. Because we're family, the old man keeps losing his nose. But no, because we're family, be patient. Things are going to try our patience. The candy might make the kids a little more excitable at church, or they might be a little more excitable as they're driving home. We're going to have to be patient with one another. And this is the theological truth we remember. We have to look at the future and see that the future that we hold to, that we watch for and hunger for, is the returning of the Lord, of Jesus Christ coming back. And when we have to find how do we answered the why question about patience and time is because Jesus is coming. And James gives an illustration that sure makes a lot of sense to us in North Dakota. He says it's like a farmer waiting for the rain to produce harvest, and he mentions that this rains will come early and they'll come late. And you know this, almost all of us in some ways, if we live in North Dakota, there's a portion of our lives that have sometimes been tied to the seasons. In getting up when the season is changing and tilling the ground and planting the seed, and then you kind of just recognize I've done everything I can and I'm waiting on the rain. It's outside of my control. And the only thing I can really do is control my emotions and be patient and, and keep calm and wait things out because this is how our hearts become strong and in eternity. Jesus' time is near. Just like that rain is eventually going to come, and even if we go through a season where it doesn't come, another year is coming. Jesus is coming. Second, because we're family, we don't complain. Now, I know that's the hardest one, for me at least. It's, you know, we can easily find all of the things that are wrong with our family. It's not hard to do. We can find all of the things that are wrong with our church. And some of you will probably go, I wish the pastor hadn't given my kids candy as you walk out. While the kids are saying, can we come back next week and let's make sure I know the answers to the questions. We can always complain. And let me make sure I'm looking at the text well. So that you will not be judged. The Lord stands at the door. And that's very similar to words that Jesus spoke in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Judge not that you be not judged. And if you take a look at that text, it says that by the standards that we judge others, it's going to come back to ourselves. If we look at other people and when we see their imperfections, we judge them harshly, well, you know what? When we have imperfections, we're going to be judged harshly. And I mess up so many things, I don't want to get in the habit of judging others harshly. I want to be gracious and kind because I know I need that. But he does have Jesus' words. And I'm working off of this. James was probably listening to his older brother Jesus a couple of years before this. Not sure what he thought of his brother. 
He would become a believer later on, but he remembered the words. And when his brother rose from the dead, he bought into it. He became a believer. He'd remember this. And Jesus also says, he says, don't judge. He says, but don't give what's sacred to dogs or pigs. And little practical old man advice. I'm going to encourage all of you to be gracious to one another. When you see the pitfalls and failings of your community or your block or your nation or the world, don't deny that, but be gracious. That your first impulse is to be, how can I help heal this? But sometimes, when we're trying to be gracious, we become foolish, and we start putting sacred things in front of people who are just going to destroy. And Jesus' illustration is don't give pearls to pigs or sacred things to dogs. We need to also make sure there's times where we keep some restraint and we don't be so gracious that we get ourselves in places where we're just torn to pieces. And if I had an hour, I'd have us all stop, hand out a piece of paper with some questions and talk about that. But let's keep talking about that one over time. Third thing, because we're family, we need to remember. And I hope when you're with your kids, or you are the kids with your parents, your dinner table is filled with stories. And those stories become the wealth of understanding from which you live. James gives basically two big categories. He talks about the prophets who were called by God and how they endured. Now, I'm going to give a quick theological summary of who these prophets are. Some people think that's somebody who's got the ability to speak about the future, and that's part of prophecy. I think the biggest part of prophecy, though, is someone that God's Spirit moves in, and they understand the history, and they understand accountability, and they look at what's happening in their community, and they say, people of God, we're not living up to God's standards. They hold the people to account, and they speak for God in moments like that. I think we need more people like that in Bismarck, in this church, in North Dakota, and in the United States who have this gracious spirit where we recognize we shouldn't be complaining, we don't want to judge, but yet we can see the failings in the speak and say, we're not being accountable. How can we be better? But if you do that, without a doubt, you will suffer. You will lose friends. You will lose favor. You will have people exaggerate your faults. It's not pleasant to be a prophet. Most people, if they're called to it, ignore it. But we're promised blessings. And some people, I'm going to try to make big Bible questions simple and trust that you can talk about it and discover more. We'll hear the word blessed and think, well, that means emotionally I'm happy. I just have good things happen to me all the time. I really don't think that's what blessed means. I think it means that you're receiving the favor of God like a prophet. And he, he strengthens our spirits so we can walk and we don't give up hope and we find joy even when life is painful and God's favor rests with us, and over time he shows himself faithful. He gives another illustration of a man named Job. It's an Old Testament book. It's about 50 chapters in length. I decided I won't read it all for you, but I've read it in the past. It's a simple story about some of the most difficult things of life, of a man named Job who's married and has children and has become very wealthy. And then Satan comes before God and says, well, the only reason Job 
follows you is because you've always been kind to him. You take away all those good things and let's see what he does. So God says, okay, let's give it a shot. And Satan takes away all of the good in Job's life and he suffers. He sees his children die. He loses all of his possessions. He himself becomes sick. His wife complains to him and his friends come and accuse him. It's right. And Job wrestles with God and Job does complain, but he doesn't give up faith and he endures and eventually he's restored. And we need to remember this. What is God's nature? How do we remember and hold on to? James describes him as being compassionate and full of mercy. The word that we get compassion from in the Greek in the New Testament is splaxna, which sounds like spleen. And what it literally means is feeling shaky guts. Compassion is these moments that we have as humans when we look at some other human in suffering who's suffering, and inside it just hurts us. If you live and you love people, you know that feeling. You know when somebody's had that for you, when you've been laying in a hospital bed and you they walk into the room. And you can look in their eyes and you realize they're feeling the same physical pain as you are feeling in the bed. Or you've been on the other end of it. You walk into the room and you put your hand on somebody and you feel their physical pain. Well, that is how God has made us. And that is his nature. And he is full of mercy. Lastly, because we're family, we speak simply. We say yes or we say no. We might wrestle with complicated things. We might pursue education and be able to explain complicated things. But when life gets dicey and we have to make simple choices, we can say, yes, this is what it is, or no, this is what it's not. Yes, this is what I will do. No, this is what I will not do. And the Jews had a tradition of using special religious words to confirm that they were just telling the truth. And James said, just, just tell the truth. Just be frank and honest. Let your words be simple and understand, understandable. Some people will read this and think James is saying we shouldn't ever testify in court. But if you even watch Jesus' words in legal situations, he makes sure the truth is told. And one of the ones that jumps out to me is there's a woman who's brought to him one time with a crowd that wants to stone her to death because she's done a horrible thing. And Jesus' words are, whoever's never done anything bad, throw the first stone. So when Jesus hops into a legal situation, he speaks words of grace and truth that he would want us to do this. Let me ask for you to stand for the closing blessing from this sermon. And then we'll have a song. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the same spirit.